welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. And welcome today for a special episode of Hashtag Postdocs Talk. I'm your host, Brittany Melton. And I'm your co-host, Megan Bull. And we're here with Yimin Chen. Excuse me, Dr. Yimin Chen. I am so sorry. <laughs> Dr. Yimin Chen. Thank you for being here, Dr. Yimin Chen. We're so blessed to be in your presence. I didn't spend a decade in, you know, evil grad school to be called, you know, without that prefix. Anyway, sorry. Well, we've already hopped right on into it. So you've you've finished your, your doctoral degree. You finished that last year, correct? Yeah. yeah. It's uh, not that long, but it seems like forever ago. It does. I can remember celebrating it now. Um, and so now you're in a postdoc. And how is that experience going for you? Oh, it's great. I mean, it's very similar to <laughs> to grad school in, in many ways because I'm doing, you know, like the research, the things you do in terms of research are fairly similar. Uh, I was hired onto a project uh, that was, well, you know, the project was created and funded by my now supervisor, uh, George Valencianos out of Royal Roads University out in Victoria, B.C. Um, and well, basically my experience there is that uh, I am working on that project. I'm gathering data, I'm talking to participants, I'm analyzing data, I'm writing reports and papers and going to conferences. Uh, yeah, I'll be in Congress with the Sociology Association this summer, nice. um, talking about some of the stuff we did. But you know, like, if that sounds familiar, it's basically <laughs> the exact same thing as uh, like the later years of a PhD or, you know, like a thesis-based graduate program. So in many ways, it feels like life has not changed really that much. And can you tell, so just to frame what your research is, I don't know how much it's changed from what you were doing in your PhD to what you're doing now, like the actual topic of your research. Right. So um, when I was doing my PhD, my dissertation research was on um, internet trolling uh, yes. perceptions mm -hmm. around internet trolls and trolling, uh, what people thought it meant, what people, uh, how people define trolling. Um, I like to say that trolling is one of those um, words where you, if you ask five different people, you get six different definitions. Um, and like, for some people, it means, you know, just funny jokes and uh, subtle links to Rick Astley's uh, hit song, you know, Never Gonna Give You Up. And for other people, it's literally, uh, you know, harassment, abuse, calling in a fake like bomb threat and having SWAT teams arrive at your house and getting people shot by police. Uh, sadly, tragically, a thing that happens semi-regularly. Um, so, you know, how the hell does one single word end up, you know, covering both those things? Uh, yeah, so that was roughly, in a nutshell, um, my thesis dissertation uh, research. And um, the work I'm doing right now in this project is related, but uh, slightly different in some interesting ways. So um, the title of the project is a bit of a mouthful, and it's called Tackling Gender-Based Technology Facilitated Violence and Abuse, Reimagining a Gender Equitable World. So, you know, in a, it, it is, again, still about uh, abuse on, online on the internet, uh, very similar to trolling. So not that much of a departure, not that much of a difference, but this current project 
is really structured around understanding um, gender-based online abuse. So specifically abuse that's directed at uh, women, at femme-presenting people, um, uh, people within the LGBTQ plus community, um, you know, just basically anyone who doesn't identify as a straight, cis, like, man <laughs> on the internet. Um, and, you know, trying to figure out ways to, to maybe not have so many bad things happen to them. So, um, you know, it's a slight branch from what I was working on myself throughout grad school, but very much um, within the same just general area of research. And I think it's, uh, I mean, I'm learning a lot of new and interesting things with uh, my collaborators and supervisors who have done work in things like, um, you know, uh, feminist studies and gender studies and things like this. So uh, I, I'm quite pleased and uh, very honored to be part of this project. So, Yemen, I feel like we left one thing out of your, oh. your doctor title, which yes. is the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> Brittany and I are both from FIMS, and right. you are notorious in the department of, of FIMS. Famous. So, my question, just with that context, since we're both FIMS PhD right. candidates, how did you get your postdoc? Oof. Well, um, you know what they say, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, kind of, I, I mean, she won't admit this, um, on the record or anything, but like, I would attribute basically everything about me getting this job to the fact that, uh, one of the, uh, leads on this project is a very good friend and colleague of mine who was also a graduate student and a graduate mm -hmm. of FIMS, um, Dr. Shandell Goss who was also in the media studies program uh, and had graduated about, I think it was about a year or two before I did. And um, she had been working with this group out of Royal Roads University um, for actually several years near the end of her PhD studies as well and um, had an in that way. And, you know, when I was nearing completion, uh, we were talking and Shandell was like, hey, uh, you know, we have this opening coming up pretty soon for a postdoc position. This is the project. Um, I don't know. You think you might be interested? I'm like, hmm. <laughs> postdoc, you say? So basically, yeah. Um, I learned about the opportunity through her. Um, I applied. And, um, well, I think the one big thing about, you know, uh, a life after grad school is just being aware and learning about opportunities such as this postdoc. So a uh, huge thing is to, you know, be on the listservs and pay attention to some of the advertisements that go on through. But it is, um, I think, a lot, it comes down to, again, who you know. It is, I think it's very important to have a wide network of uh, people in your field or even, you know, sort of allied adjacent fields that you might possibly uh, be willing to branch out into and it doesn't hurt to you know know people who might know things and other people and every once in a while it may be in conversation they're like oh hey you know there's this opportunity maybe you heard of it and at the same time like it's important to sort of reciprocate that as well if you you know know people if you learn about opportunities that others might be interested in like you know pass that along too and 
everyone can, uh, you know, be uh, happy and cooperative and we can all work for our own betterment. Yemen, I need you to confirm or deny, is it <laughs> truly the most important skill that you have to be able to communicate with other people? <laughs> because I find... Uh, a lot of people around me, specifically those in grad school, actually really struggle with talking to other people. I mean, I struggle as well. So, mm-hmm. but I, I'm wondering if how much of this is 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 beyond just being a good researcher, which obviously you are. You have the you have the doctor title to prove it. But then on top of that is actually just being able to put yourself out there and talk to people and create these connections because genuinely that is is a is a skill that requires so much training to be able to actually work with and it feels like something that I don't know I've known you for like two years now and you've just you just have it the skill to to talk to people the social skill the social skill the the extrovert skill yeah well I mean thank you that's very kind of you to say so (laughs) okay um no I I do think it is very important um for well specifically in this case people in grad school and looking beyond grad school to develop their communication skills um and of course you know being part of a uh, esteemed and wonderful organizations such as GradCast is a great way to develop, you know, a, a comfort with speaking to people who might be talking about things that you have, you know, absolutely no idea about or no background or context to to really understand and, and you know, try to hold an intelligent conversation uh, despite that fact. Um, on that whole, like, uh, for the longest time, like, growing up, I would not have considered myself an extrovert. I was very shy, introverted, and so mm-hmm. on. And um, I credit it to uh, my time, my year abroad teaching English in Japan after uh, completing my undergraduate degree, where um, I fell in with a group of British expats, and they essentially told, uh, taught me how to uh, drink copious amounts of alcohol and uh, <laughs> go to karaoke rooms. And, you know, that, you know, being away from home, being in a completely different country, um, learning from the best when it comes to binge drinking, you know, that really, I think, for me, sort of brought me out of the shell. And I was like, yeah, all right. Also, it, it did perhaps also instill in me a lifelong love of karaoke and, you know, like Disney show tunes and things like that. But like from there, I think with a bit of experience, you perhaps like any other thing, any other skill, um, that you can work on if you keep doing it it becomes easier so if you just like talk to people and just work through the um, the anxiety the shyness the hesitation just and again this is where I think uh, maybe a little bit of liquid courage helps perhaps not you know too much <laughs> whatever you say is probably not going to be as awkward or embarrassing as it might be in your head just say it and then uh, well deal with what happens later just keep saying stuff and then hopefully the other person will keep saying stuff and you just go back and forth eventually that's communication you build up a rapport and then you know just be interested and interesting and i think um also like one of the one of my favorite things about grad school here at western was um being able to hang out at the grad club Mm. and like some of my favorite interactions some of the the most interesting stimulating and absolutely pointless going nowhere conversations I've ever had were, you know, um, at night near closing time in the grad club uh, over a uh, a couple pints of the grad club lager (laughs) talking about, I don't know, like 
Pokemon and transhumanism or something like that. And, you know, in the moment, uh, these conversations might seem silly and uh, completely meaningless, but who knows what you might remember or pick up and find at least somewhat useful down the road. Um, so, yeah, uh, I do think sort of, I guess, coming back to your original question as worded, that communication skills um, are very useful and um, a, a key uh, thing to develop in, well, in any situation where you can imagine having to interact with other human beings, either as colleagues or collaborators, or, you know, even if you're work, unless you're, you know, you intend to be a hermit in the woods working on I don't know, your own pet theorems <laughs> carved into the bark of trees or something like you're going to have to talk with someone at some point somehow some way someday so you might as well get comfortable doing it i'm first interested about more the academic connection about like did you have to curate academic connections to get where you are in, in the postdoc sense now how you did that and then my second part to that question is you also talk about you have to just you you don't sound as stupid as you think in your head right like oh i hope not no no but when you're trying to say something right when you're trying to communicate you know you might think you sound stupid but you don't a lot of young phd's like myself i was one of these you know i was very state i have a lot of stage fright because that's what i think so what advice would you give to those young phd's who would like to get to where you are and um yeah. Maybe are a bit afraid. I think I'll start with that second question first. Um, and I think stage fright is a good way to describe it. And like in a way, I do credit some of my, um, I guess, performative confidence uh, <laughs> to the fact that I, I did take uh, drama in high school way back in the day. And I think, well, for me anyway, it does help uh, in, in some circumstances if you're giving a presentation or talking in front of a crowd or something. Um, to think of it as a performance. And I think if you take some drama classes, if you go through some, you know, improv lessons, things like that, um, it, well, one thing, it helps you sort of act and think and, you know, speak more spontaneously because, you know, the show has to go on. You can't yeah. just stop, you know, time out uh, and say, oh, let me redo that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, no matter what happens, no matter how, well, even if you do say something stupid, you just have to roll with it. Mm -hmm. um, so that does help. It also, I think, for me, helped uh, develop skills in, in a way, like compartmentalizing. Like, you know, the audience is there. You know, other people are there. But you don't have to fixate on, on that. You don't have to fixate on them, like, staring at you and, um, you know, students or colleagues in a presentation, like, waiting for golden nuggets of wisdom to, to, to fall on their ears and so on. Like, whatever. You do what you do. They'll get what they get. And, like, I think part of the thing is, like, the, this uh, whole thing about uh, imposter syndrome. Like, if you're in grad school, if you're where you are, like, you, you got to where you are. And, you know, if it's because you're really good at being an imposter, well, yeah, sure, okay, <laughs> continue doing that. And, and who cares? Sure, why not? Um, and if you never like fully uh, realize the fact that you know maybe you're actually good at what you do um, in terms of your academics, your research, your presentation skills, and so on, like all right, just continue thinking that you're faking it, and then yeah, you'll just keep on faking it. Um, 
So I do think that's important. I think, again, it's a skill you can develop. It's something that um, you just, if you can try to sort of work through the fear, work through the anxiety, just throw yourself into it. And I think the, the thing is, a lot of these situations and circumstances are not as like high stakes as you might imagine in your head or whatever. And um, for the most part, a lot of the people you're going to be talking to are not as, you know, critical or not as mean as you might think, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like maybe use yourself, unless you're, you know, kind of a douchebag. Uh, <laughs> use yourself as a uh, barometer here. Like, how often do you think, well, that's the stupidest, dumbest thing I've ever heard. I think that person should, you know, fall down an open manhole cover or something. Like, if you very rarely find yourself thinking that way, and mostly find, like, yeah, that was fine. Like, yeah, sure that's what your reception might be too and it might not be the most uh, overwhelmingly enthusiastic reception but it's fine um but on the other half of your question the sort of academic, academic yeah. uh, networking academic mm-hmm. yeah um, the important connections and stuff yeah how yeah. do you actually get a job and whatever um <laughs> so i i am a huge proponent of taking opportunities to go to conferences or workshops or you know meetups with other people well First of all, within your own faculty, within the people working in the same field locally as you mm-hmm. are, because like very often those are going to be, those could be, you know, like work friends or, you know, even real friends. Um, like a lot of people I met in my time at FIMS, I consider some of my closest friends mm-hmm. and not just because they helped me get a job. Um, <laughs> and like these also end up being um, professional, you know, colleagues and acquaintances um, where sometimes like uh, I'm about two months ago, I did a guest lecture for a friend who now has a uh, position out in the University of Ireland. And mm. I had to wake up at like 4 a.m. to do it. But, you know, it, it was fun. <laughs> it was a good time. It was nice to catch up and uh, see him again. Um, this was on Zoom. I didn't wake oh. up at 4 a.m. and fly to <laughs> Ireland. That would be great. No. But um, so, uh, yeah, definitely first local um, form a community, a connection network locally first and then uh if you have opportunities and you should definitely seek them out to go to conferences whether you know uh nationally or even internationally uh first it's a great excuse to go traveling to you know interesting places around the world uh like i've been to melbourne in australia i've been to um the exotic far off locale of St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> the even um, more exotic Toronto. Oh, <laughs> the absolutely. The location of Congress this year. Oh, yeah. Like York University. Uh, picturesque. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, so yes, they are cool places to go. And if you do, you know, definitely try to budget some time to go sightseeing. And, and, and you know, how often do you get an opportunity to fly across the world or whatever to just see stuff um but also do take at least some of it seriously go to some sessions and um you know try to talk to people like it it may not be the easiest thing like while someone is giving a talk to be like in the audience going hey blah 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 blah, blah. that's kind of rude too (laughs) but you know um if you do pay attention to sessions and talks that you're interested in like see if you can think of uh an intelligent question to ask at the end of it. And, you know, that's a way to make a connection mm-hmm. with a person. And then perhaps, you know, after they finish, you can approach them through that opening and say, oh, you know, I'm really interested in your work. Um, you know, introduce yourself. Um, if you can 
print like business cards through your faculty. That's one way to uh, get in touch, keep in touch with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, in some cases, uh, when I've presented posters at conferences and you know, you can't always be standing next to it to talk to people who come by. Um, I've had people, uh, you know, look at my poster while I was not there, and they were interested enough to basically leave a sticky post-it note on it saying, you know, oh, I have a question about this. This is who I am. Here's my email. Like, I'd like to get in touch, and we can talk about this further. And that's another way to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Most conferences will also have some sort of event or uh, meet and greet for young scholars or graduate students and things like that. And again, that's a great way to meet people because everyone is, you know, most people attending those are going to be thrown in, and they're all a bit out of their depth. They're, like, not knowing what they're doing, and they're eager to meet people and have, like, a conference buddy. And sometimes, you know, you can do things with that conference buddy outside the conference. Like when I was in Melbourne, I met with some uh, grad students there and we all heard that uh, there was a short trip outside the city where you could go see the nesting grounds of um, the tiny blue fairy penguins, the smallest species of penguins in the world. And they are so adorable. And yeah, we um, got together and all sort of booked uh, a bus tour down there and we saw penguins. And, you know, that's another way to get to know people outside of just this strict academic sense. But they are also, you know, academic acquaintances, academic connections that, again, that you may be able to leverage in terms of collaborations, in terms of research, or who knows, if they're working at an institution that happens to have an opening for a postdoc, they might think of you, or you might think of them, or, you know, what have you. But, again, I, I think a lot of it is just, trying to be aware and on the lookout for opportunities and then, you know, like actually seizing those opportunities. Fair enough. I mean, I want to know just like, how is it going? How is the postdoc going? It's how long is it a year? Yeah. So uh, the grant funding for this project is for three years. Essentially, the way it's set up for me is um, I'm uh, working on one-year pr- um, contracts that are renewable, um, you know, with the agreement on both sides. So uh, it, this is also a uh, work-from-home um, position. So especially at this point, you know, uh, shortly post-graduation, I really appreciate the flexibility that this um, allows me, and I think that's usually pretty common where if you're working on these multi-year projects that they are you know one year sort of renewable and yeah uh i can definitely see myself continuing on working on this again it's a very interesting project it's work i believe in that i think is very important and i think it's fulfilling and i'm learning a lot of stuff about this and a lot of and you know an interesting thing is like people tell you learning is lifelong and you learn stuff uh outside uh, after you know graduating from grad school and so on and like i'm finding that too mm-hmm. like there's research issues and troubles i've run into that uh i had not anticipated and i i had not experienced when i was doing my grad studies so like there's i guess that's one of the interesting um neat things about working in academia and research that you're constantly finding new, weird, interesting, and often and sometimes kind of frustrating things to uh, that you encounter. 
and every day with that actually yeah so because we're running out of time but uh and normally we would ask our guests if they want to share social media but you actually have an open call for participants in the research study you're working on <laughs> and so i want you to i want to give you a second to both plug this research study but then also i i know that you are dealing with the challenges of online participant recruitment and i want to give you a moment to get that off your chest Tell, tell us, us those challenges. Tell us, tell us how it's all going. about them. Okay, so well, uh, the challenge, the the research woes I was leading to is the fact that apparently um, this is both well documented in the literature and surprisingly not well known by actual people doing work until they encounter it themselves for the first time. As of at least five, six, maybe seven years ago, so on, maybe even ten years ago. Uh, it has been written several times, about several times in the literature, that it is a terrible, very bad, horrible idea to try to send an open call for participants on the wider internet without serious vetting of responses and participants that you know get re get back to you. If it's like a survey or something, um, you need to implement as many quality checks as possible to uh, try to identify whether, like, an actual human being. Um, put in these responses and like these are like not nonsense responses uh or you know more likely uh it is probably some sort of bot that just went through checked a whole bunch of things and you know sometimes it's just because people want to sabotage other people's work for just for the sheer joy of it uh and sometimes it's because you know, very often in these sorts of research studies, uh, something like a five, ten, twenty, maybe dollar honorarium or a compensation is offered. And you know, if you uh, program a bot and they uh, complete a survey four hundred times and you get five dollars each, that's a decent chunk of money. Um, so, not having done this before as part of this research, we uh, sent out a call for interview participants to. Uh, various social media platforms and so on and uh, you know the first couple days I was very excited because I had you know dozens up to like a hundred replies very quickly to our uh, sort of intake survey and well uh, it turns out on you know further inspection um, a lot of these people well people quote-unquote air quotes here uh, filled out our uh, intake survey, which should take, you know, roughly a minute if you're actually reading what the questions are and so on. Um, filled it out in less than 30 or 20 seconds. Um, a lot of the sort of responses didn't make a lot of sense. Um, and uh, turns out uh, a lot of the emails I now know look like automatically generated sort of first name last name with a bunch of numbers at the end of it at gmail.com <laughs> and the it, it it took a while for me to really fully appreciate this because again we're using this to um, recruit people for actual sort of research interviews that take you know up to about an hour or so and uh, I only started to get really suspicious when I talked to um, a couple people who seemed to uh, well, who first, you know, called into the Zoom interview on a phone with no um, sort of visual, or, uh, no video or anything. Um, and they all sounded like they were just making up their responses as they went along. And uh, 
basically everything they told me was essentially useless as as data. And so I got uh, a bit more suspicious. I started looking into their IP addresses. And, you know, we had posted these calls to various social media um, platforms, but most of them were specifically focused on, like, Canadian uh, contexts and places and, like, subreddits and so on. And, you know, I was getting IP addresses from all around the world. Uh, and so that was a bit of a flag. Um, and, yeah, so it took... Oh, yeah, and sometimes the email responses I would get when I tried to, um, you know, coordinate a meeting time and appointment for the interviews were really weird. Some of them looked like they were uh, sent from, like, a template. A lot of them used, like, weird, you know, sort of spam email style uh, sentence construction and wording and things like that. And it it, it was just kind of surreal. And, and then I started looking into this, and it was like, oh, yeah, oh, apparently people have had this problem you know, all the time. People have written papers about it. And apparently, it just seems because I, I keep seeing, uh, you know, tweets and other things about how, oh, wow, we were really surprised when, you know, we our survey was just inundated with bots or whatever, that, yeah, apparently, no one thinks about this. No one looks into this. No one really talks about this until you have to do it yourself for the first time. And then you just get flooded with bots or just, um, you know, sham or spam responses. Uh, but that said, um, I have a Twitter account. I'm not super active. But if you go to shiny pants zero, um, <laughs> the, the numeral zero, uh, you can still see a tweet about a call for participants for this research. If you identify as a man between the ages of 18 and 30, and you would like to talk to me about your um, experiences and um, your sort of thoughts about online gender-based uh, abuse and any situations that you may have witnessed uh, yourself, then yeah, go look me up on Twitter, take a look, and yep, the call for participants will be open for a while. So if you're interested in talking to me, yeah, reach out. Unfortunately, our time is up. Thank you, Yimin, for being here with us today. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University, and this has been Hashtag Postdocs Talk. I've been your host, Brittany Melton, and my co-host was Megan Vol. We've been speaking with Dr. Man Myth Legend, Yimin <laughs> Chen, and this episode was produced by Amelie Hutchinson. If you would like to get involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcast at sogs.ca. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, we're on Radio Western 94.9 FM. And you can find us, you can find all of our episodes wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day. Doctor. Every time. <laughs> Doctor. Oh, no, no, no. Man myth legend. Doctor. Oh. Doctor. Okay. And Miss Legend, Yin and Chen. <laughs>